0: The following is a repeat of Hong Kong Heritage from August 2016. Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Typing Carpets began in 1956 in a tent, which then became a factory in the tallest building in Taipo. It's a Kodori company set up by brothers Lawrence and Horace Kodori and some entrepreneur friends, and provided stable employment for refugees and farmers. I joined Nicholas Kolfer, the chairman of Taiping Carpets International Limited, to hear about this trade which came from very local beginnings.
1: My name is Nick Colfer. I've been in Hong Kong since 1982 and I'm a director, one of the directors of the uh, Kuduri family group of companies and in that capacity I'm chairman of Taiping Carpets Limited. It's a company founded in 1956 by a group of businessmen led by Lord Lawrence Kaduri and Sir Horace Kaduri. And the Kaduri family still have a controlling stake, 55% in the company which is listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange.
0: How did Taiping carpets come about? So, you say, in 1956, 60 years ago, it kicked off, and um, it was, you know, it was interesting, because, I mean, I know with Kadori, obviously, the Peninsula Hotel, 1928, among others. Uh, You've got Swire. You've also got, in the New Territories, agricultural projects, also including pig farming. Um, So, how did the carpets come out of all of that?
1: It was in the context of Hong Kong in the 1950s, with the influx of refugees from China and the Kaduri brothers, who were very much involved in helping Hong Kong get itself back on its feet after the Second World War, um, and also coming to terms with and trying to help some of these refugees. And one of their initiatives was the, the Kaduri Farm, the KAAA aid, which was given to, to farmers and refugees to teach them how to farm. And the second, actually, that came out of this was was typing carpets. I have a, a little brochure that was written in actually in nineteen fifty seven. A year after off- lasted well? Yeah, a year <laughs> a year after the company was founded. Um, which explains the background for, for the US market. And if I can quote from it, and it's written by Al Rabin, who was one of the seven founders of the company, together with the Kaduri brothers. A little more than a year ago, i.e. nineteen fifty six, there came to the offices of the Kaduri brothers an elderly Chinese. He wanted aid not as a farmer, but to enable himself and his family to resume their rug-weaving craft, which he and his fathers before him had followed in Tianjin. He stated that there were many other weavers from North China, and who had never been farmers, but who needed similar help. Could employment be found for them? The Kaduri brothers then instructed him to spread the word that assistance would be given to the weavers. And with the aid of the government, premises were provided, and these craftsmen and their families were recruited for the purposes of resuming their weaving in, in Hong Kong. So the um, origins of Taiping are very simply setting up a business that would give employment to, to, to refugees and also to, to people from the Taipo area. It has to be said that Mr Rabin, who was Gdouri's friend and US-based salesman, certainly felt that the US market, there would be demand for, for carpets, handmade carpets, from from China. And remember also that um, these carpet makers in Tianjin were unable to export to to America because of the embargo um, post the, the Communist Revolution in, in, uh, in China.
0: Yes, uh, as you say, it's just seven years after uh, the revolution in 1949, so the, the sort of peculiar kind of political and trade conditions mean that these typo carpets are about to go to the US and, and elsewhere. So, you know, in terms of the Kaduris deciding on carpets as a manufacturing item, or in fact a handmade item, um, that was more that the, the rug traders came to them? Correct.
1: Correct. Yes. It was an idea put to them. And in fact, if I quote from a from La- Lawrence Kaduri uh, at the time the company was set up, um, he, he said, the project, when he started the project, he said none of us really had much idea about carpets, but the, the idea had been proposed to them, and they thought they'd give it a go. If, can I quote from him? He, the visitors were very keen for us to set up a carpet factory in the New Territories. I confess, Lord Lawrence Kaduri said later, I was not very interested. I was busy with other projects and not at all inclined to put money into a carpet factory. You see, at that time, there was very little air conditioning in Hong Kong. Those of us who did have rugs would roll them up at the beginning of the summer and send them (laughs) to Dairy Farm Cold Storage because it got cooler. (laughs) What was the point trying to sell locally made carpets? I said, no, it was ridiculous. Not at all the right thing for Hong Kong. So... Mr. Lin, who had come to the Kuduris and his friend, left my office very disappointed. But it was on the way out that Horace Kaduri said it was worth looking at, and together with their visiting American friend Al-Rabin, he came in and said, I think there would be great opportunities for the product in, the, in, in America. So they decided, OK, they would, they would go for it. That's
0: very interesting though. I mean, just, yes, uh, in these conditions where you would be making uh, carpets, as you say, you know, very hot summers, very humid uh, summers. Now, um, I was sent uh, some items about typing carpets beforehand, some emails that showed actually some women and they're sort of suspended halfway up the wall um, on wooden stools. And then you've got the carpet uh, against the wall. So um, they were hand-knotting at that point
1: yeah, and that is still essentially the manufacturing process that goes on today. Everything is custom-made to individual designs, so what the process is the same today as it was then. A designer will send in their sketch of what they want. The sketch is then reproduced on a, on a large piece of, of woven backing, and it's that backing that is then suspended vertically and stretched and, the, and then the the artisan, the tufters, as they're called, will be will be sitting on raised benches, facing the stretch backing, and then they use a little a little gun to actually piece by piece fire in the coloured wool in the appropriate places. It is actually a little bit like painting by numbers. So that that process is pretty much the same, and we are just building a new factory for this in Xiamen um, and you'll see pretty much the same racks. I mean better built stronger with good good ventilation for staff but pretty much the same process that that it was in in the in the um, mid-50s. So
0: anybody can come to type in carpets and say I'd like a carpet like that.
1: Correct You can pretty much do any design any design you like in any any uh, colors and um, materials obviously traditionally wool um, but we use a lot of silk. We use probably about 70 or 80 different materials, including bamboo, cotton. You know, obviously, preferably natural materials, but you can also do, you can also use man-made materials as well.
0: Now, back in 1956, prior to the creation of typing carpets, when uh, Lawrence and Horace Kadori were sending their carpets off to cold storage uh, dairy farm, what th- what would their carpets have been made out of?
1: I guess wool. I don't know, but that would have been the the, the, nor- the normal material.
0: So, in fact, with bamboo and cotton, you can make them a lot lighter.
1: You can, yeah, they have di- di- you know, different different materials for different uses. But obviously, silk is most expensive, but very luxurious and soft under touch. Wool is very hard wearing. It really depends on on the location where you're going to put the carpets.
0: And when you started off in 1956, what would the materials have been?
1: I think principally wool in those days, mostly. It would have come from the UK, New Zealand and Australia and also, believe it or not, Pakistan, according to my 1957 (laughs) brochure.
0: So in those initial years, can you give me an example of of some of the customers?
1: Yeah, I mean obviously there would have been um, uh, customers who were visiting Hong Kong Tourists would traditionally have a day on Hong Kong Island, a day in Kowloon, and then they would have a day touring the new territories, um, which would include a stop at the Taiping factory, and then they could order a carpet to be made to their specification, and it would be delivered to them, sent to them at their their home, wherever that might be. And one of the reasons that the tourist buses would stop at Taiping carpet was that they made sure they had extremely good... Um, uh, washing facilities, <laughs> restrooms. Um, but one of the in, in the late fifties, I think one of one of their the orders that put them on the map was a large carpet order for for Grauman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood that really put them on on the map in in the States. And then in the sixties, I think we did Windsor Castle, um, and then a number of other obviously, Taiping being a Hong Kong brand was also used as a gift from Hong Kong to a number of royal uh, events uh, the the wedding of uh, Prince Charles and Lady Diana also even for the 1997 handover the um, ceremony the red carpet there was made by Taiping and after the ceremony in fact it was um, put into cut into little pieces as as souvenirs.
0: You've mentioned that the, the first factory was in Typhoe, and in fact, it was the the tallest building in the area.
1: Well, the very f- the very first factory in 1956 was actually really a residential house in on Castle Peak Road. It was obviously initially too small for them, and so they had to supplement the area outside and cover a tennis court nearby with a large tent where the manufacturing was done and that tent is now being immortalised in the in the Taiping logo that you'll see on the, on, on the letterhead and the product. And then in 1959, Taiping bought land and built a five-storey building in Taipo. It was then the tourist tallest building, pretty much the only building in Taipo, and obviously became an important employment centre for the local community. And then following on from that, um, and ex- a larger 12-storey building, I think, was built on the new Taipo Industrial Park. In uh, 1977 it was built, and then a second one was built in 79. So the company stayed there producing carpets in Taipo until around 1990, 1991, when it had bought a piece of land in Nanhai, just south of Guangzhou, and migrated the whole production to China, Which was obviously um, very much the trend at that time. And from about 1991-92, all manufacturing ceased in Hong Kong. That factory, in fact, um, has operated very successfully since then, but obviously the environment around Nanhai, what was pretty much nothing but industrial, has now become residential and tourism. So we've taken the decision and we're building a new factory in Xiamen specifically, on um, dealing with these hand tufted, handmade carpets, and we are migrating that function from Nanhai. So Nanhai will also have done its have done its duty and come to a close, pretty much by the end of this this year.
0: Going back to those tufters, you were describing how a gun is used to uh, put the, the colour of the wool into the carpet, but when the the company started in 1956, you know, when you're making these handmade carpets, how did people, was it hand knotted? How did it work?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, they were all made hand knotted, um, which was very laborious and tedious work. And Typing had a young engineer called Anthony Ye, who rose to become the managing director and chairman of the company for many years, and is still the life president of the company. And it was his ingenuity in watching the process of how the carpets were being knotted that he developed a gun that would actually fire and cut the, the, the wool and, and really make the process much more efficient but also less tiring for the staff. And so improved productivity and, and made it an easier job to do. Um, and that was technology that typing developed for the, for the industry.
0: Now, a large number of the workers throughout were women, is that right?
1: Yes. Traditionally, there were uh, probably a number of reasons. First of all, women tend to be uh, more dexterous, have a better set eye for detail, um, and it's, it's very precise and very demanding work in terms of the eye and coordination.
0: Miss M. Ying Ping is an artisan who joined Taiping Carpets in 1970 and worked there until the factory relocated to Nanhai in 1992. I joined Taiping in 1970 at the age of 13. My family were farmers. Like many young girls in those days, I needed to find a job after finishing primary school, as my family couldn't afford any further education. My mother had washed clothes at Taiping's staff dormitory since the 1960s, and she introduced me to the factory. A basic work unit includes a master, a senior apprentice and junior apprentice. That's how I started... You had to spend at least a couple of years as a junior apprentice to master the basic skills and different patterns before moving up to senior apprentice. It took me ten years to reach the rank of master. Before coming to the tufting department, the drawing department would prepare a real-size outline tracing from a design sketch with a projection for carpet stencil and perforation. After the stencil was perforated ready for tufting, the master would mark out the pattern... The senior would outline the different shadings for the junior apprentice to fill in the colours. They were very intricate patterns, but I loved it as a challenge. For murals, they had many different shades. We had to mix wool of three, four or more colours. It's just like blending watercolours. You had to have a good eye and lots of patience. Typing offered a stable income and a life for people like us who were less educated. We weren't left to the mercy of Mother Nature. So quite a lot of us were happy to introduce our family members to the factory when new jobs became available.
1: So traditionally the tufters have tended to be women. In fact, in Xiaomun, we are recruiting a a more even balance. I would also say, obviously, in the factory, where where there were heavier works needed to be done in terms of finishing, Mm. um, the dyeing operations... Then there, there would there would be there were a more of a balance of male workers, but certainly some of the best tufters have tended to be have tended to be women.
0: In the early years, uh, going on from 1956 into the 60s and 70s, um, this Kadori firm typing carpets uh, also created a, a flexible work schedule to fit in with fishing times.
1: Yes, I mean I understand. Obviously, a lot of the workforce came from fishing villages and farming communities near. O, in addition, obviously, to the original refugees. And quite a lot of them were working there to supplement family income. So the factory management tended to adopt a flexible approach, allowing people to go during when the fiss- fishing season or the um, harvest, or if they had families to look out after, particularly for the ladies. And I think we had what we would call a creche. <laughs> now, again, fairly advanced back in the 50s.
0: You mentioned the theatre, um, that uh, Hollywood theatre, that. Uh, perhaps put uh, typing carpets on the map in the United States. But when I was having a look at some of the material that was uh, sent to me by uh, the Hong Kong Heritage Project, which of course has uh, written about, provided huge numbers of interviews with workers throughout the Kodori companies, um, there's a picture there of Liz Taylor.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously for when you had famous celebrities, famous people came to Hong Kong and they had spare time, then a tour of the new territories including the Taiping Carpet Factory was, was, def- was a definitely a spot on the map to go to. Uh, obviously a lot of celebrities over the years have purchased Taiping Carpets.
0: Did you have to do sort of like a diamond encrusted one for her?
1: I wasn't there at the time <laughs>
0: how many workers were at Typo at the beginning then and and um, and and also if you were doing like an average size carpet how many workers would be involved
1: Ooh, um I think we had about 500 people at, at Typo going up to about 700 by the late 60s and now obviously we have At the present, three factories. Nanhai, we have one in Bangkok, and we have the new one opening in Xiamen. In fact, a fourth, we have a small specialist uh, weaving factory in the south of France. And overall, now we have about 2,200 workers. Um, So obviously, it's, 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 it's grown considerably.
0: Mr Nivenho joined in 1966 as a production assistant and retired as general manager and director in 2005. Our workforce primarily came from the fishing villages and farming communities nearby. Quite a lot of them worked here to supplement their family income. We adopted a flexible approach to managing them. If production lead time allowed, we permitted flexi hours and leave during the busy fishing or harvest seasons so that they could help their families. The development of Taipo also brought about changes to the nature of this workforce. The construction of Plover Cove Reservoir in the 1960s made fishing more difficult for the boat people. Some of them turned to Taiping for full-time employment and a stable income. Later, the relocation of the fisherman village, Chai Tsai, to Sammun Tsai, caused a similar problem, and another major switch of fishermen to factory workers.
1: The amount of workers on a, on, a, on a rug, on each carpet, I mean, obviously it depends on the size of the carpet, but typically you might see two actually doing the tufting you don't want too many because it is an artisan job, and really it is an individual production. You, so you don't, you can't have shifts changing. The character of the carpet would change, so maybe you'd have two doing the tufting, and then a very important part is at the end where they put the carpet flat on the ground and they do the finishing, and sometimes they carve into the carpet using the sort of shears rather like, doing the back of your neck <laughs> to get the, 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 the detail. And there you can find half a dozen people on working on one carpet at a time. So it varies on the phase, but anything from two to half a dozen.
0: And how long? I mean, it, again, it's, it's sort of a piece of string stuff because it's uh, a different size carpet. But um,
1: if you were saying... How long does it take to make one? um well we we would say generally that the so called lead time if somebody says this is what I want could be up to three months because you've got to envisage that we are starting out with uh, um sheep's wool so sheep's wool is gray and matted that has to be combed it then has to be spun um so it, it it's turned in turned into into skeins of yarn, then it has to be dyed and of course. Each carpet, somebody will have to specify different colours. So you have to get exactly the right colour and exactly the right quantity, so it's very demanding. So that is just getting to the start base. Then once you have your your, your wool or your silt dyed, then you're ready to start the actual tufting. And that, that may take, depending on the size of the carpet, it could take two weeks to... A month, and then you've got the finishing, and again the complexity that would vary. So it's it's, it's probably a two to, a two to three month process, depending on the complexity of the carpet.
0: It's interesting, I think, that that Lawrence and Horace Kedori, you know, with the with the pig farming, the agricultural projects, with typing carpets, they were very actively helping. Uh, the refugees who'd come in from uh, China uh, post-49, do you think that the fact that they had come from elsewhere uh, has something to do with the fact that they were so willing to help or was it just uh, a humanitarian thing to do?
1: I think the Kaduri family had been involved with humanitarian causes really from the very beginning. So before the Second World War they were based in Shanghai and um, helped farm schools look after refugees, for example, coming, fleeing from Europe in the 30s, helping those people get settled after the war. I think it was really very much a characteristic of of their family from from the beginning. Hong Kong post-war was obviously decimated on its back, and their first thought was to let's get Hong Kong back on its feet, um, which they did very much, working hard to the the benefit of Hong Kong. And then um, Obviously, Hong Kong was stunned by the, the refugees coming in, and that was an issue that had to be addressed and uh, was very close to their hearts. And now, of course, the Kaduri family have considerable charitable activities throughout, throughout Asia.
0: You described to me, or you showed me right at the beginning, a, a brochure from 1957 which says, typing rugs and carpets exquisitely handmade in British Hong Kong, which is is, is so much uh, a, an aspect of its time. With the Hong Kong Heritage Project, I mean, you were mentioning that um, you're going to be having a, a sort of low-key meet-up with uh, so, some hundred work, previous workers, but uh, are you also marking the history of typing Carpet?
1: Principally in Hong Kong, but obviously it's important to be reaching out to customers and reminding of Hong Kong, of Taiping's heritage, its history, and its, its, its experience. So it is an important milestone to be communicated to, to customers worldwide. It, and interesting, you're absolutely right, this 1957 brochure uh, refers to the carpets exquisitely handmade in British Hong Kong, but one has to remember the emphasis, there was a reason for that, and that was in North America, had an embargo on any goods from China. So, it was very important from a marketing point of view in America to emphasize that these, these products were made um, in, Hong, in, in Hong Kong, not mainland China, otherwise they couldn't be sold in North America. Even to the extent of emphasizing that the wool comes, came from Scotland, New Zealand, and as I said, Pakistan, rather than from China, because otherwise it would not have been imported into, importable into, the, into America in those days.
0: Back in 1956, you've described how you, um, the kinds of wool that would have been brought in. How would the dyeing process have gone? Would it have been sort of a several-day process?
1: No, I think it's a, it's a, it, it probably a several-hour, hour process. They, they would have large vats, uh, where they, they mix colour dyes and, and dip the wool and let the wool soak, um, Now of course the technology is advanced so we have what we call package dyeing which is very efficient um, and has zero residue which is very important because obviously environmental standards are critical for us.
0: You've described how the tent Uh, Is the logo of Taiping carpets and that was actually where the first manufacturing was done next to uh, Actually a residential house was was the first place where the workers would have been doing this tufting to create Taiping carpets Taiping what does the actual name of the company mean?
1: It's um, obviously Taiping in Chinese Taiping Yang is the Pacific Ocean. It means peace great peace
0: You've described how uh, the the typing carpets are still handmade today. So would you say that 60 years on, how much has the the aspect of the artisan changed, or is it very, very much true to its roots?
1: The manufacturing process is, is still true to its roots. I think the, the, what, has, what has changed is design has become critical. If you look at the early carpets from the 50s and 60s, They're they're fairly traditional designs, either copying the French or using Chinese designs. What has happened, particularly since the mid-90s, is Taiping has engaged very much with leading designers from around the world, and then people, obviously, in Hong Kong, such as André Fu, with whom we've done a collection earlier, with people like Philippe Stark. And if you look at the, the range of designs that come out of the Taiping now, you'll see there's much more variety, a lot more fluidity in design, and really catered to to the various markets they serve. So these include everything from the super yachts um, that hang around Monaco and Cannes in the summer, super jets, private residences, even in places like the States, we've got a lovely picture of a carpet made for outdoor use by a swimming pool in, I think, Las Vegas, where it's not meant to rain very much. We've spoken mostly about the hand, the hand knotted carpets, the hand tufted carpets which is the core of, of, of Taiping's essence and its origins. We should also remember that uh, we also developed in, Nan, in our Nanhai factory and, and in Bangkok a very successful machine made carpet manufacturing process, um, the, what we call the Axminster process and this makes carpets specifically for the very top-end um, hotels around the world. So most of the hotels, for example, in Macau would have been uh, furnished with typing carpets, many of which are actually um, machine-made on these axminster looms. Another order in the hospitality side we got a few number of years ago, for example, was all the carpets for Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, which was a very significant order.
0: Yes huge amount of carpets to cover in yeah, uh, you know yeah, in one of yeah. these hotels, and also with uh, macau yes, the casinos i mean just if I walk into the Venetian or Galaxy, that, yeah. that's a, that's a lot of carpet.
1: Yeah, so Please spill your red wine on them.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's right. Oh yeah. Do you have any tips? Is it is it, is it salt?
1: <laughs> no, we'll give you. A, we'll se- We'll sell you a new one.
0: <laughs> now, what are you doing to mark the 60th anniversary of typing
1: carpets? will have a small reception for key customers here in Hong Kong in October. Most fun, I think, is is we have contacted. The workers, former workers from the Taipei factory, going back, obviously, they would have stopped, retired in 1990, but there's still a number of them um, active and around in Hong Kong, and we'll be holding a a lunch reception for them um, very shortly. I think it was a great idea. I think we hadn't anticipated that the response and the numbers still around would be quite so great. I think it's about 100 people, um, which is great. So I think that will be very exciting for them, very exciting for us, and we'll give them a tour of facilities and update them with typing as it is today.
0: My thanks to Nicholas Colfer, the chairman of Taiping Carpets International Limited. If you'd like to find out more about the history of the Kodori firms and their workers, take a look at the Hong Kong Heritage Project website. That's the Hong Kong Heritage Project website. Thanks for listening and join me next week on the RTHK programme Hong Kong Heritage